Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. Today's podcast, we have Matt, Shauna, and myself, JD, joined by humorist Aaron Reynolds, the man behind Effenbirds and SquareTrek Twitter accounts. This episode contains strong language. You've been warned. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Aaron, I'm a longtime fan. I have. The, yeah. This is the, the fancy the British, ass UK edition. Yep, yeah, the UK yeah, edition. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I actually bought three of these and gave two of them to friends. <laughs> so since we're so prude in the United States and can't uh, actually allow foul words on a foul mouth book to cover, <laughs> so well you know. So I actually discovered you a couple of years ago, and and part of the reason when you said, "Hey, I if you have a podcast, I you know let me know. I'd like to be on it." So yes, this is Mac DevOps, but we talk about people and process and and right. not so much the tech part of it. And I know that there are a lot of folks that uh, in our community, uh, in the Mac community, who game, who like you know puzzles and games and and the creative uh, niche that that you are in. So that's why I'm like, Matt, maybe we should reach out to Aaron and see if he wants to be on the podcast. So. And Matt's just like, they're foul mouth birds. <laughs> it's like, JD. What's the relevance? Yeah. I, I mean, right. I always am confused about where I fit in because I'm still not exactly sure what it is that I do for a living at this point. Like, I, I, I told my accountant that I'm a writer because that seems to make <laughs> the most sense. And I get a lot of income that comes from, like, publishers. Sure. But I mean, mostly what I do is make jokes on Twitter and then people really like them. And then I sell them stuff that have the jokes on them. And like, it's a business model and it works real good. So, you know. To the point that you you quit your daytime job and this is your daytime job now. I did. I actually, I quit I quit my job and had a, well, I, there, was a, there were a, a few steps along the way. And uh, one of the things that came up at my old day job was that they were concerned about um, they were concerned about me having a book contract because uh, when I got offered uh, the deal for the F and Birds book, um, it, it sort of it became a thing. It became a thing at work, and uh, at, ultimately, I there was an ultimatum of I could do this book or I could stay working at this place I'd worked for twelve years, and I had to make a choice. And I took a couple of days to do the finances of it and figured out that I was close to sustainable just doing FM birds as my job. Um, and that if I did a few things right, it would already have surpassed the pay from my job, you know, by the next year, uh, once I counted like the book advance and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, well, let's, and then I, I was very cautious and I founded myself a job that I could work at two to three days a week. Uh, that would be, uh, fulfilling creatively and a lot of fun. Uh, and different from what I had been doing, but still leveraging all of my weird skills. And that had no problem at all with effing birds. <laughs> you know, and I think that was like the biggest, the biggest thing was like, okay, but if I'm going to find something, they have to have no problem at all with effing birds. And, and, and what was funny is I found that job in two days. And so from the time that I got the ultimatum of, you know, choose between your job and this book contract. Um, and like, I, it, it, that was a Wednesday and we didn't get to the weekend before I had quit. So you know, and then the the two to three days a week job has um, I, it's sort of down to like a one day a week job. You know, some days I work a couple days, 
for them and some some weeks that don't work for them at all and it's all we're all we're all happy with how things are going so yeah but now but now absolutely effing birds is my is my daily bread and butter which is terrifying to me like i make jokes on twitter <laughs> and twitter makes horrible business decisions all the time what happens to me if twitter you know decides to you know just screw things up so badly that they're gone and so i've spent a lot of time audience building on instagram and facebook which i don't enjoy and uh <laughs> tumblr tumblr where i have a weird hardcore audience i love tumblr um and then and then like you know the book has got to be part of that process too because the book is putting effing birds out in the the not social media world you know in the world away from the computer and so i need to build that audience that's away from the computer along with finding other ways to reach the audience uh through the computer well i mean it's scary to change jobs welcome to the mac devops podcast we're talking about jobs and losing your job i mean changing your job i mean hey there's a pandemic what more can you lose? Right. Um, well, I, it was so weird. I had already switched to about two months before the pandemic like really kicked in. I had moved to 100% working from home for uh, for that other that other job I was doing, and uh, I, it, so it sort of felt like nothing changed except I I didn't go out anymore. You know, I ordered a lot more stuff for delivery and went out and picked up a lot less stuff. Um, and it sort of it, that meant that it took a long time for the pandemic to really like register for me as a thing that was that was happening you know yeah it was weird giving up your full-time job going back to that for one sec and then moving on to this like self-made business i mean i was working for a full-time job and then all of a sudden they're like hey you got no more job it's like yeah but i realized that i'd been consulting on the side for a couple of years and i'm like oh maybe i could do that i didn't right. really want to do that but i was like maybe i could do that <laughs> right and then i was like oh when, and when all that stuff came up at work, uh, it was it was year 12 of me at that em employer, and it was year 10 of me making weird jokes on Twitter. So, you know, it was one of those <laughs> things where weird jokes on Twitter had, I'm going to say, four years before that, like a financial reward to it. Um, you know, the first time that I got a, a like a paycheck for doing weird stuff on Twitter was mind blowing. <laughs> it was very hard not to like, oh, let's just go on a bunch of vacations because, you know, I, I have my day job that keeps paying me this other stuff. So this is gravy money. And I was like, no, let's be, you know, smart and strategic. And, and I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I did a lot of business planning because I managed to take what were like windfalls and not treat them like windfalls. I, I treated them like seed money to build the next thing, you know, and I just kept being able to just keep on taking this small pile and using it to build a bigger pile has been, it's been kind of awesome. Well, it sounds like you're, you're being smart to move your audience or find an audience in different platforms. I mean, we all know that when you're working a full-time job, there's a false sense of security that you have a full-time job. I mean, yay, yeah. I don't have to do anything. Just be nice or not fail. Yeah, exactly. When you're a consultant, you have many clients and sometimes you end up with one of those clients and then you're kind of in the position you were before. Or maybe you're an iOS developer and you make, you know, Apple angry and then all of a sudden you're in a public debate at war, you know, a war on Twitter right. about whether your developer account's going to get canceled and you're not going to be able to <laughs> develop games for that platform anymore. So I think there's a general principle about where's your money coming from <laughs> and, uh, right. and who controls your method of production. <laughs> well, yeah. And who controls your, your future? I think one of the reasons that 
it was easier for me to walk away from my job was that I had I'd kind of topped out. I I'd, I'd had the conversation of I wasn't going to be getting raises beyond cost of living raises anymore because I was at the top tier of my pay grade and there wasn't anywhere for me to go in like the in the role and area that I was in in the company. And I mean that's okay. I'd been there for a long time and it was a good pay and it had great benefits and and those were the things that made it hard to walk away. What what made it a lot easier to walk away was that I didn't see a future in it. You know, I mean, I saw a future in it. I saw a future of going to work every day and getting paid uh, a good amount of money and living, you know, uh, but I didn't see any, there was no more forward momentum. There was nowhere else for me to, there was no rising. There was no, you know, I was, I was a rock star at what I did and I was, and that was going to be it. And I think one of the things that I wasn't worried about when I went to consulting, and I'm sure that you didn't worry about this when you changed from your full-time job was you didn't have to worry about your healthcare disappearing. Maybe you didn't oh, have yeah. private <laughs> extended, but this is a real thing. I've heard this from consultants in the States, you know, it's like, they're like, oh, you know, it's going to change the whole system and I have to pay like 10 times more as an independent person. Oh yeah, that would be terrifying. You'd think twice about changing jobs. I mean, I worried about, oh my God, I bought a house. I have to pay a mortgage. How am I going to do that? Like, yep. I have to, but I didn't worry about, oh, if I get sick, I'm not going to be able to pay. But I mean, and that's a, I, that's a big deal right now, especially. Yeah. During COVID, you know. I mean, well, I've Americans had relatives. have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. As a Canadian, my only real concerns were like, uh, I did a lot of math of, I have three kids. Um, what, how much does the dentist cost every year? How much does, yeah, you know, I, I started going through the things that, yeah. I started going through the things that the company health plan was covering because it was yeah. a particularly good one. Um, and I just, I just kept tallying it up and I was like, you know what? This still, it doesn't even out. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine to leave. But I, it was terrifying. And I, there's actually a, um, uh, the dedication in the front of the, of the F and birds book is, uh, my mother-in-law's reaction to, uh, me quitting my job at like the world's most stable, least, you know, in danger <laughs> company. Um, here, do you want to, you have a copy of it there? You should, I, you should I have a copy it of it yeah. here and it, it says to my mother-in-law who does not believe mm -hmm. that this is an acceptable way of making a living or to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> cause, cause like she, she really got stressed out that uh, her son-in-law, uh, you know, was quitting his job for this big company uh, to write jokes, to write rude jokes uh, that have bird pictures, you know, like <laughs> I, I understand that point of view. Like that is not an unreasonable point of view at all. I think that what I'm doing is crazy, but also I'm, I'm doing fine. So I'm, I'm good with how crazy it is. And I've sort of, I've had to embrace like unprofessionalism. I had to learn that, that the, the companies that don't want to work with me because of the things that I have done on the internet. Well, Ouch. I, I don't, I also don't want to work with them because they are, because I haven't done anything awful on the internet. I've used some bad words and I've been strange and unprofessional and, and weird, but you know, it's not, I haven't done awful things on the internet, but I, I realize like it, companies that are, are looking for a person who has no, no personality and no, you know, rough edges and no, you know, no oddities to them. Like, that's going to be the most boring place in the world to work where everybody's just hiding who they really are and, you know, just pretending to sort of like to, to get the paycheck. And I was like, you know what, maybe I have the freedom to not do that anymore. And so anyways, I just, I'm myself now and uh, 
uh, it 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 did result in a very high profile, like hard no uh, when I went after a job. But that's okay because the person that they hired to do the job uh, got fired in three months uh, for doing a terrible job. So I was like, oh, you know what? And now and now they can't afford me. Uh, <laughs> there might be there might be an opening as Governor General of Canada soon. You know, you can move to Rideau Hall. I do it's not want that job. Of the United States. You don't want that job either. <laughs> I've done some politics adjacent work and I don't want to be in politics. I really don't. Um, you could load I, up your pickup truck with books and drive through the front gate. Yeah, no. <laughs> I did, I did uh, get invited uh, because of F and Birds to visit Parliament. And wow. I took advantage of that. And I do have a Bill Morneau story because of that. Because uh, he heckled me as I went by at one point. <laughs> well, he lost his job. I yeah, mean, he's well, you know, moved on to other things. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> he wanted to exactly. all by himself. He really felt motivated suddenly before the end of his term to leave because, yeah, the prime minister can't get in trouble for what he did. Still pales in comparison. Uh, yeah, like if these are the problems that we have in our government, great, because America is such a shit show. Can I say shit show on the show? Yeah, sure. Oh, well, you're <laughs> totally allowed, especially when it comes, you know, in reference yeah. to that. We have the gentleman who swears for a living on the internet. Of course, you can say shit show. Well, no. I, I, had, I had somebody I may ask bleep me it, but you know, a, I had somebody ask me if I was going to be able to do a clean interview, and I was like, yeah, man, like I, I worked in a corporate job for twelve years. Can, I can right. work clean for an hour. That's the official term do. is dumpster fire to the south. Dumpster fire to the south. That's fine. I can say that. You want me to say that a few times so you can dub it in? My, my favorite is uh, Canada is the apartment above the meth lab. Yeah, the nice apartment yeah. above the meth lab. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. I think that, uh, I mean, I think it's, I think it oversells us and I think it really undersells the United States as like disaster land right now. But, you know. Yeah. I think whitewashing is a good word. We we tend to forget yep. that we're a bunch of mostly white racists with lots of terrible history. You know, yep. the '60s scoop, the residential schools, uh, res uh, reserves that don't have clean water. I mean, the shit yep. that we are not doing and the shit that we are doing not great. We're like there's an armed there's an armed police response right now to uh, a a group of uh, uh, of uh, protesters who are who are saying hey look like we were promised this land uh, like a hundred years ago why are you building a condo on it mm -hmm. you know so there's I, that's happening right now in Ontario so like, yeah so the American issues of recent times have made us hopefully reflect on our own issues which are many <laughs> so Probably yeah. not as not as dire as you know. I don't think anything on the F and Birds Twitter is nearly as bad as what's on our president's Twitter. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's true. I think that's Go ahead true. And so, say that. <laughs> you don't have any birds grabbing other birds by the bird. You know. Oftentimes, Americans will tweet at me when I've tweeted something. They'll say, "Is this about such and such a thing?" And and sometimes there's like three words that in my mind don't go together at all. And I have to say, "Is this an American politics thing?" Because I try to avoid that, and so I don't know who these people are or what these like. I don't know these talking points. So, sure, but if it's about that for you, 
then yes, it's about that. Because for <laughs> me, it was about the dude who cut me off in traffic two years ago. So like, whatever, you know. It, it is a true joy when when you're scrolling through your feed and and like two of those tweets line up with an Effenberg oh, yeah. tweet and like, oh yeah, that that answers that particular tweet. So maybe we should talk origin story and maybe we should talk yeah. about how has social media enabled you to become a swearing bird malcontent? I think I actually, I had a, um, a weird uh, sort of window into my own origin story because it went a lot further back than I, I consciously had thought. Um, at a book signing I did in Hamilton, Ontario, um, a, uh, a friend of mine from high school who I hadn't seen in ages brought a stack of our high school newspapers uh, with him where I had done the comics page on them. And my comics page, I've never been a good artist. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I don't like my own art. Um, so the comics page that I would do was frequently cut and paste from other things. I would take an advertisement in the newspaper for a correspondence school and I would chop it to pieces and then relay it out. So it said horrible things. Um, <laughs> and, and I was like, wow, I really have been recontextualizing things as jokes for like 30 years. You know, it's not a, it's not a new thing that I started doing when, uh, when I started doing Swear Trek. Because to talk about all these things, we have to talk about Swear Trek. So um, Swear Trek is the Twitter account where I, I make GIFs of episodes of Star Trek, but I've rewritten the dialogue. I see you shaking your head. Um, do you, you want to know something? You, you want to know a secret? <laughs> Here's how you here's how you measure your audience engagement for a podcast. You say GIF and then you wait for the angry tweets. That's how you know how many people are listening. It's the surefire way to like Yeah, yeah, I know. It makes your head explode. It's the real way to say it. Don't worry about it. Swear um, trick. That's yeah, what you said. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'd done lots of stuff on my personal account, but the first thing that I had uh, some real uh, heavy success with was Swear Trek. And I was rewriting dialogue for Star Trek, but, uh, and, and, and it became very vulgar because that was funny to me. But uh, the way that it actually started was I was fed up with emoji and I didn't want to use any emoji. And I was watching lots of episodes of 60s Star Trek at the time. And I, found every once in a while I would pause an episode and it would be on this perfect still frame of like a really elaborate emotion uh, because everybody in 60s Star Trek is acting for that little tiny screen on the little tiny 1960s TV, right? So the emotions are huge and broad. And I started taking screenshots of them to use as emoji instead of, you know, instead of like the shrug lady and stuff like that. And um, uh, one day I was watching the episode Wolf in the Fold uh, which is the one with the Jack the Ripper in space. Uh, anyways, uh, he takes over this guy and they end up knocking the guy out and throwing his unconscious body onto the transporter pad and then beaming him out into space. It's like the most horrible way to get rid of a guy. But um, I took a screenshot of this guy lying on his back with his arms spread out like this on the transporter pad. <laughs> And it was like my favorite thing because it's some guy lying dead on the transporter pad. And uh, all I could think of was that it needed the caption, fuck. And, you know, <laughs> the single, and, and, and then I, I started thinking about all these other screenshots I had. And I was like, well, what if I captioned every single one of these with the F word? 
what do would it work for every one of them and it did and so uh the original the first two weeks of the swear track twitter account are stills from the series all of them with the single word fuck underneath them and um that was a joke that ran its course in two weeks although i think it was funny for those two weeks and then i was like i, I want to keep doing this i think this is funny so then i started rewriting dialogue and it all became about like my personal frustrations with the world and you know however i was feeling about things and um uh yeah and that you know that became a modest social media hit uh and one of the things that I started thinking about with it was because it was the intellectual property of uh, uh, now Viacom, I guess it was Paramount and CBS and now they're Viacom again. I don't know. I, they're, those, they're, they don't belong to me. It belongs to somebody else, right? I'm writing jokes over somebody else's content. And so there's not really a way for me to monetize that unless I do it in a super gross way like Amazon affiliate links or something awful like that. And I'd seen Twitter accounts that started off really glorious and then went to all Amazon affiliate links. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to go down that slope. That's the, that's the end game to wring a few dollars out of something that you don't want to do anymore. And I didn't want to do that. And so I started sort of trying to figure out what would a version of Swear Trek look like that had all the same positives, but where I controlled the intellectual property and where basically I eliminated all of my headaches and had a clear path towards monetization. And um, that like pro con list gave birth to effing birds. Uh, now there was a middle step in it where a big media organization asked me for some pitches um, based on Swear Trek. Uh, they wanted to, they essentially they wanted Swear Trek, but for their own like history of broadcasting, which would have been a friggin' hilarious job. And <laughs> it ended up getting stuck in like some rights, lawyers, whatever stuff, which is which is a shame because um, they had a content library to die for, and I wanted to pillage all of it. And you know, I would have <laughs> that would have been great. But anyways, they asked me for. Some some other pitches and I pitched them a bunch of stuff. And one of the things that I pitched them was, was F and birds and they hated it. Like they hated, hated it. And I thought, here's the thing. Like I, well, first I felt bad. First I felt like, Oh, I've, I've screwed up my shot here. Like I really wanted to work with these guys and they hated what I gave them. But then I thought, you know what? I, I like, I believe in this idea and I think it's good. Why don't I just make it without any reference to their brand and put it up on the, on Twitter for two weeks and see what kind of traction I can get for it. And if it succeeds, I can say, hey, look, guys, I did it. It turns out the idea is really good. I'm still here. Let's talk about all these other ideas. Um, and if it wasn't good, I didn't have to tell them I did the experiment. You know, well, I can say, oh, yeah, they're right. They're smart. Let's all take their advice on some things. And uh, so anyways, within a week, it was more popular than their Twitter account for the whole brand. And now it's about 30 times more popular. <laughs> there than their brand uh which is kind of terrifying and it's my day job so i mean i'm really thankful for the 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 dudes who did not like it in that meeting um uh, i'm you know they they have set me on the path to financial independence so, so cheers believe guys. in yourself yeah exactly believe in yourself for sure and you know and spite's a great motivator if you want to prove that these other people are wrong and that you're right like just do it <laughs> I, I think one of the, the great things about the internet is that uh, social media has democratized who gets to have the platform. You know what I mean? Like, I, 15 years ago, I couldn't get on TV 
or the the radio. It's kind of a lie. I was on the radio a few times talking about baseball. And that was another career altogether and was very weird. Um, <laughs> I I used to I, I would write about uh, baseball, but from the I was the comedy relief on a very serious statistical website, and uh, it was. It was great. It would make some people really, really angry, and uh, ultimately, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with the commenters who didn't like that I was not also giving them statistics. It's like you know what? There were four other articles today for you to read. Like you don't have to. You have to take this dump under mine because you don't like me telling the story about. No, uh, anyways. Anyway, <laughs> oh, about how Melvin Mora is secretly an android. That's an article I wrote. Anyways, um, I. So yeah, Spite's a great motivator, and, and like the the platform is here for us, and we don't have to wait for somebody to give us the opportunity to do something. You know, we should just go and do it. And I I was to a certain extent uh, to a certain extent I was inspired by a talk that I saw by Douglas Trumbull, the special effects guy, uh, who's also a legendarily uh, cantankerous and difficult person <laughs> to work with. And it was great fun to hear him tell Hollywood stories that also kind of paint him in a bad light and make you say, yeah, that's why these guys didn't want to work with him a second time. Cause he did that thing. Um, he's, but I mean, but he's a brilliant man and he, he did two nights at the, at the TIFF, uh, theater in Toronto where the first night was 2001, uh, followed by uh, uh, like him doing a presentation on the specific effects that he worked on on 2001. And the second night was Blade Runner. And he did a, a set of uh, like a presentation on, on his work on Blade Runner. And the Blade Runner one really blew me away because he talked about um, coming to Blade Runner, which was a project that had almost no budget. And so that they were trying to figure out creative ways to get around all of these problems. And he then parlayed that forwards and he showed us some footage from something that he had been working on, uh, which was this magnificent moving shot of two people walking in a rotating space station with giant glass windows where you can see a star field that's moving out the windows. And uh, he showed it to us up on the big screen at the TIFF and it looked amazing. And he said, you guys want to know the entire budget for me getting that shot? And we were like, yeah, of course we do. And, uh, and it was about $5,000. Uh, it was uh, uh, a pair of uh, Canon DSLRs because uh, the shot was in 3D. Um, it was a 3D printer. And it was the MacBook that he had on stage with him that he was presenting off of. Uh, and he did the shot in his garage. You know, and it was all like miniature work. It was magnificent. It was like a knockout. But his whole, his whole thing there was you could make a movie you can make an entire movie with the credit available to you on a credit card. So the only thing stopping you right now from making a movie today is the desire to make a movie, you know? And that was, that was a couple of years before I really started like doing this stuff seriously, but that it resonated with me for so long because like just the idea that the only thing stopping me from doing things is me. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I think I knew that. I think I knew that like down here somewhere, but it was like, it was important to have somebody like kind of yell at me about it, you know, like, cause he was kind of, he was a little bit angry. He's like, you know, young people make things, you know, it was, anyways, it was great. And I'm, I'm so thankful to have seen it. I didn't work in the film industry directly, but working in visual effects and working with creative people. I mean, I'd like to dispel the notion that there's just a lot of geniuses. There's a lot of hardworking people. <laughs> Yes, a lot of yeah. hardworking people. Media creation, art—you know—it's creation. You have to expend effort. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, like even my my own process for um, I I mean I people get mad at me when I say for my stupid internet ventures, but like they they are kind of stupid. Like the most popular thing I make is beautiful pictures of birds and swear words. Like it's, uh, but I mean it takes a lot of work to um, to find the right set of emotional prompts that are going to resonate with people to simplify everything to this this like to strip away all the specificity so that whatever i was angry about when i thought of this everybody else can put whatever they're angry about on it you know like to to peel those layers off so that so that i'm not saying oh no this isn't about your experience it's about my experience so that people can just put their own experience on it and have it reflected right back at them um and also like the audience building stuff, the scheduling stuff, the uh, like that, that's lots of work. That's lots of time, you know? And, uh, and and like when people talk about, you know, the overnight success. Yeah, it was overnight success that required two years of guessing, testing and planning, you know, and then was an overnight success. Oh, and 10 years of audience building to start. Like, yeah, a lot of work. Yeah. So. What tools are you using to, to do this? Oh. Yeah, um, there's. I have some creation tools and I have some scheduling tools. Um, let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about a few different things here. I'm just gonna look at the doc on my computer. <laughs> Since <laughs> we're talking about my computer, I'm like, what's what's down here? Um, shiny things. Exactly. Uh, I use a couple of different tools for scheduling. Um, I actually, the first time I ever started scheduling tweets was directly related to the first time that I got onto Tumblr because uh, Tumblr has a really solid queuing system for posts and and it's all free. And so when I didn't have any budget for this thing, I started with Tumblr. And I really like Tumblr's queues. And so I, I actually still use them today. Even I also pay for some scheduling tools. But both SwearTrek and FNBirds at the back end uh, for scheduling are powered at least in part by Tumblr. And it, and if this, then that action that takes a Tumblr post and makes it a native Twitter post. Um, I like I can't say enough good stuff about Tumblr. Um, I know they're like not in fashion. Is that the thing to say? I don't know. They're <laughs> Tumblr are like. Sure. I mean, they're, they're not quite MySpace, but they're kind of getting MySpacey. But anyways, uh, yeah, I use Tumblr's queues a lot, uh, and I use Buffer. Uh, Buffer is uh, another scheduling tool uh, that'll let me schedule across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. It's actually Buffer adding LinkedIn support is the entire reason FMBirds has a LinkedIn presence. Also, just to kind of troll because you can't you can't like that in front of your boss. <laughs> right. You know, you can't follow FMBirds in front of your boss. I think three hundred people follow FMBirds on LinkedIn. Like it's not popular there at all. Uh, I even had there was a comment one time where somebody commented "ha ha," and then somebody else commented, "Jules, this isn't an appropriate thing to comment on from your account. That also shows our clients what you like." I'm like, oh my god. I was like, don't get fired, Jules. Bye. See you later. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Buffer Buffer's really great because it'll let me schedule across all of those um, because it has uh, quite a deep set of cues and it is it has good analytics. Analytics have been kind of a sticking point because a lot of platforms don't want you to have analytics beyond 
their analytics, uh, which is fine, but Instagram's analytics are not useful to me. Instagram's analytics assume that I am an influencer and that I care about the things that I would sell to an advertiser. And I'm not selling any advertising on FM Birds. I want to know more about these people. <laughs> I want to know more about who they are and where they are and, you know, when they are. That's really important uh, on a lot of platforms. Uh, I, I did a lot of um, guess and test on Twitter at the beginning until I started using, uh, there's a really nice tool for Twitter called Fruji Analytics uh, that is like $4 a month. I was like, oh, this is, I'll take a flyer on this for four bucks. And it was the greatest at letting me know when my own audience was active. You know, it's sort of like it dove down the levels and then saw the the tweeting and liking activity of the people who were following me and then showed me the hotspots on the, you know, on the schedule for the day. And I was like, oh, great. Well, you know what? That it, it told me that I had a lot more audience uh, in UK time zones than I thought I did, you know, and so uh, and a lot less audience on West Coast United States time zones than I thought I did. So, it you know, sort of had me push a lot of stuff earlier, you know, my time in the day. Um, yeah. And, and so that, that was really useful. Uh, what else do I use? I use Buffer. I use Tumblr. I use Fruji Analytics. I use If This Then That. If This Then That, I got to say, the only thing that really bothers me about the Tumblr integration is that every once in a while, If This Then That will just stop working for a month and then it'll start working again. And so I just kind of got to keep one eye on it. You know, I don't rely on it for the main feed, but I rely on it for my, for my reruns and stuff like that. Um, like a, a lot of our automation tools. Everything is great and automated, and as long as you're keeping an eye on it, and then you yep. got to... and then it suddenly stops. Yeah, yeah. When I go on vacation, that's when it breaks. Always, but that's fine. You know, I, that's why I use more than one tool to post. Because if one of them stops posting, I'm still posting. We're good. Um, actually, I realized if I were to pass away suddenly, uh, and I'm not intending to do that, but if I were to do that, <laughs> uh, there's about three months of FM Birds content in the tank. So. <laughs> You know, you guys wouldn't know till Christmas that I was gone. <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd stop answering messages, but aside from that, uh, I'm trying to think of what else I use here. Um, for Swear Trek, uh, I'm editing old episodes of Star Trek in Final Cut, doing the editing and captioning in Final Cut, uh, exporting as ProRes, and then using, I was using for a really long time a great app called GIF Rocket which I miss, but it's 32-bit only, and it won't run under modern operating systems. And uh, so I'm using the one I've replaced that I don't like quite as much. It's called GIFSKI. It's still good, but it's not as not as good as, as GIF Rocket. Even, even with 64 bits, they can't pronounce the G properly. So. Yeah, man. You know, 63 bits. 63 bits, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I've got, uh, oh, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pixelmator Pro person for for image stuff yeah i i just find like it's a really comprehensive and simple enough piece of software i i grew up on photoshop like i i went to school in the late 90s for photography and photoshop was part of it photoshop 5 not cs5 but 5 yeah <laughs> photoshop 5 um, I have a t-shirt actually upstairs. It's got a lot of holes in it, but it says uh, introducing Adobe InDesign. It's my favorite. It's my favorite shirt because uh, that's gone now, right? That's been gone for a decade, I think. Anyways, um, uh, I, I found that modern versions of Photoshop and Illustrator are, they do so much more than what I require that it becomes more difficult to do what I require. Does that make sense? Like the complexity of them is makes my old man brain hurt. 
Um, and I, I get that they do all of these things because they do all of these amazing things. It's just that they, none of those are the things that I need. And so I was really pleased to find uh, Pixelmator powerful enough uh, to do what I want well and uh, smart enough to you know ignore all the other stuff. You know? So it's got exactly the right set of tools for me. And every once in a while, I bump up against the limitation of it, like oh, I won't do won't do text across a you know a shaped. Uh, uh, shaped path. Anyways, they, then they added an upgrade, and I'm like, oh, great, beautiful. No, no, I don't have any complaints again. And are they just an app store download? I think. Yeah, yeah. It's not I'm a subscription. The... No, nope. is the other issue uh, with the Adobe series. Of yeah. Apps. Well, here's the thing. Now that it's an internet business, subscription models are a okay by me because I need some tax deductions. And and when I'm deciding if I'm going to pay that money to Adobe or pay that money to the government. You know, I'm okay to pay it to Adobe rather than the government. I'm okay with that. But like, so I mean, I have a lot of software licenses for things that I don't use. And I, I mean that I use, but I don't say that I use them to the extent that if I was not doing this for a living, I would say, uh, oh, yeah, I can justify paying $50 a year for that. You know, but now it's it's very easy to justify because otherwise I got to pay it in taxes. So, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good to have all this software. Patriotic TV in there. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm also happy to pay my taxes. I'm not a person who's like trying to, I'm not doing tax avoidance. I'm using the tools they give me to, you know, keep the money going through the economy. I believe that is the entire Very point wise. of these Very write-offs wise. is that I am supposed to be, you know, spending money with other companies and keeping other companies afloat and all that kind of good stuff. And so it's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play by those rules. Yeah. Adobe employs a lot of uh, mathematicians and scientists to figure out Bezier curves and all of that stuff. So you're funding yep. science, really. That's what I am. Doing. I'm funding science. That's exactly right. That's exactly it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and birds, what are you using? Are you drawing so, with like major or? No, um, mostly the majority of F and birds, uh, uh, actually the illustrations uh, come from a, a book called, uh, or a multi-volume set called The History of British Birds by Thomas Buick, uh, who was a, uh, he did woodcuts in the 1800s. And uh, they are all in the public domain. Uh, and yet at the same time, I am an active contributor to the Buick Society. And, uh, you know, um, doing my doing my part to make sure that his legacy is protected. Uh, they are they're the, they're in the UK and they've like turned his childhood home into a museum, which is you know awesome. Um, I also really like because he was he's a woodblock artist, which meant he was carving these and then they would be inked and stamped. Uh, and uh, they will uh, the the National Trust in the United Kingdom will for a fee uh, take one of his woodblocks out of storage, ink it, and make you a fresh print. Off of wow. it, which is wow. glorious. Yeah. And it like it kind of costs a fair amount of money, but at the same time, hey, that's a charitable donation and you're getting art for it. Like, how can you complain about that? So yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I use uh I use some vectorization tools and Pixelmator uh and uh, a bunch of fonts uh from uh Tom Chalky. Uh, uh I don't know, do you guys know Tom Chalky's website? If you're looking for some resources, like some art resources, Tom Chalky is a delight. It's very handmade. It's very like as a he has a is very well curated and very funky. He's a, the kind of guy that goes to you know flea markets and buys uh, volumes of old encyclopedias to get the texture of the destroyed leather on the binding. Oh wow! You know, and then we'll sell you textures. 
and uh, and so I get a lot of I get uh, textures, I get some design elements, and I definitely get uh, fonts from Tom Chalky, uh, including uh, the one that I really like called Brixton. Any of the effing birds that are a dark black are using a font called Brixton from Tom Chalky. And then any of the birds that are gray, I don't know if there's, there's basically two styles of effing birds, but the gray ones are using a font called Fairy Tales from Artemasa, which is, um, oh shoot, I forget what country they're in. I keep trying to get in touch with them because I'm like, I feel like I should pay them more money. Like, I mean, I have an, I have an active, you know, the largest license they have available for their font, but I feel like, like I made a lot of money off of their font. I want to give them more money, you know? <laughs> so, but I, like, I can't even get in touch with them. They had a Behance page and a, uh, you know, a Twitter account. And I, like, I sent the messages, but I got nothing back. So maybe we could act um, as an intermediary and you could pay us. Yes. No, <laughs> no. This is, this is like the thing where there's a guy with the same last name as me and he died and he left no heirs and you're the manager of the bank and you're just trying to get rid of this money that's, and you just need to take 10% of it. Yeah, no. Oh, you've received that email as well. Oh, I and I received that on a fax. That's old. Fax, (laughs) along with your prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh man, fax machines. Let's not go back to that. Can we please? They're still around. I know. Um, Doctors' offices, hospitals. Yep. Every once in a while, I have something that needs to be submitted by fax, and thank God I have an app on my phone. I can pay ninety-nine cents to fax things. I just make it into a PDF and put it in there and it comes out the other end as a fax. Love uh, it. Amazingly, it probably comes out the other side as an actual PDF because they probably don't actually have a fax yeah, machine. They probably also <laughs> don't have a fax machine. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those computer things that's like, yeah, we should have just emailed. This could have been an email. This could have been an email. Yeah. I think banks are the only place that like use faxes like reliably because i know we actually in my company we use fax all the time it's actually shocking how much everybody uses fax but we have like a online product that does the fax stuff for us so we don't actually have any physical fax machines but it's like it's still a thing and i'm like shocked and appalled (laughs) right there's got to be inertia with it where people are just like uh we've done it this way so long and it works so why would we change something that works yeah yeah, old systems, government systems. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh yeah. Supposedly arguably more secure if it's an old school fax and you're actually using a copper line and it's a point to point communication. <laughs> Email is not necessarily actually secure. Um yeah, but but... If, if you're just digitizing the PDF, sending it through the email <laughs> to a fax service and then going through the internet anyway, like mm. Yeah, you've taken away all the useful things about it, and now you've just left the pain in the ass part. Right. Well, doctors are <laughs> using iMessage on their phones anyway to send yeah. confidential information back and forth. <laughs> Especially the yeah. ones in the US. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, here too. it's just hard to like, I think it's it's hard to, once you get to a certain age, reconceive how to do things. And I do think that there's something to be said for this works, why change it? Uh, I think we saw that in our own government with the Phoenix pay system, where we took a <laughs> an antiquated but working way to pay the people that- The government payroll. Government, and we replaced it with a bureaucratic nightmare that did not pay people. And But it wasn't a failure of a public system. It was like a third party contractor. I don't know, some huge megacorp. Oh, take this contract, rebuild our system. Oh, it doesn't work. 
So here's the one of the fun things that I got to do when uh, when I took that job after I quit my first job and I was doing that that other thing for two or three days a week uh, was I was producing a series of podcasts uh, about Canada and government and you know politics adjacent things and uh, in one of them uh, I got to speak directly to the Auditor General in the weeks following uh, his report on the Phoenix Pay System. Uh, and in theory, it was an episode on what the Auditor General's role is in government and, and how all of that works. But we talked a lot about the Phoenix Pay System. And the thing was that the, the contractor kept saying, hey, if you guys cut the budget by this and you take away this functionality that you're asking us to take away to, to save that budget, this will no longer meet this requirement from our original bid. And you guys said that was a non-negotiable that you had to be able to pay people who went on maternity leave. So when you're taking out the functionality of paying people who were on maternity leave to save that budget, we're now not going to meet your spec. Are you okay with that? And every time they would say yes, because it was this bureaucratic nightmare of everybody all the way up the line saying, yes, it's possible. And then what everybody saying yes led to was a product that didn't work. Hmm. Yeah. Back to my original DevOps principle where the most number of people in a meeting means that it's not going to be successful or take longer. So have small meetings, short number of people. Uh, yes. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I, I don't think I've ever been to a meeting with more than 10 people that was a helpful meeting. Mm. No. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, Man, I've been to a lot of meetings. <laughs> I try to avoid them. Just get oh, yeah. in there as an IT ninja, fix things or remote into systems. And my old well, job, we would have really big meetings, and I would, I would, I. So I'm a bit of a problem child in a in a large tell. company. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would try to convince everyone else that the meeting had a theme, but that our managers should not know about that theme. They should just have to guess when we've shown up at the meeting. <laughs> And uh, the most successful, and this was after, this was right after I changed markets. I I was in Toronto for like five years, and then I moved to the Ottawa market with the same company. And it's my first big meeting, and I managed to convince so many people on my team that we're dressing up like it's Comic Con for the seven a.m. meeting. And <laughs> so there's like a hundred of us <laughs> in the room, and at least thirty of us. I'm in a Star Trek costume. There's another dude who's dressed like <laughs> Marty McFly from Back to the Future. There's Misty from Pokemon. There, like there was a whole pile of, there's a dude who was Keanu Reeves in speed. Like it was like, he nailed it. And, oh, wow. and like, and our, the managers were like, what is this? And half of them were like, oh, we're not supposed to, this is not part of the meeting. Cause Aaron said that we should do this. And <laughs> And, and so anyways, you know, that was my kind of team building. My team building was like, we're going to make a little, a little bit, if we're going to have like a gentle rebellion against our managers, let's have a dumb rebellion that doesn't cause any problems, like showing up to a meeting in a Star Trek uniform. You know what I mean? Like that's, it, it literally caused no problems other than some confusion. So, you know, uh, there was one meeting where we all wore the same color. I felt really good about that one. And my <laughs> favorite meeting was where I announced that the theme was the because the secret secret theme got popular after the first couple. Uh, and my favorite secret theme was dress like somebody else. So we would all we were all dressing like we would pick another one of our coworkers and like try to like try to just nail their look. Um, the rule was that you had to be like it had to be positive. It could not be like a uh, uh, it couldn't be mean. 
had to be the most positive dress like your you know like your coworker and uh yeah it was it was chaos i loved it well you found the perfect job <laughs> yeah right now i just get to be a troll on the internet all the time not the bad kind of troll it takes nice people guy. a lifetime to find their place yeah well, speaking of trolls, uh, you posted a couple of the one-star reviews uh, that you've gotten <laughs> for the field guide, and, and they are spectacular, some of They're them. They're so good, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, actually, one of my favorite things, um, I, I have an Author Central account on Amazon now, and I really love, really, really love going into Author Central and filtering to the one-star reviews and reading the good ones. It's like reading mean tweets or something. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, and actually, I think one of the best parts is that the the back cover of the book has this Jonathan K quote, and it is uh, like it's just straight up him replying to a tweet. Is it? Do you have Do you have a copy of yeah. it there? Yeah, you have it there. The idea it? of combining a pick of a bird with some lazy half obscenity is really something that would barely amuse elementary school kids. Very sad and contrived. Yeah, and that's a real tweet. That's a real John- tweet from Jonathan, Jonathan K. K. Yeah. Adult. Yeah, I credited him as Jonathan K. Serious Adult. Because why say, you know, former editor of The Walrus or, you know, best-selling <laughs> author? Why say those things when I could call him a serious adult? Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, he was he was in an argument with uh, Tabitha Southey, the journalist, and uh, she posted an effing bird at him as like a, as a, as a dig. And that was his reply to it. And I was like, I was like, this is like handing me gold. <laughs> Thank you for this. I love it. There's one that I'm reading right now that says, boy, what a great education in reading this awful book to your children. (laughs) These are beautiful books out there about birds, but this is not one of them. (laughs) There are beautiful books out there about birds, but this is not one of them. Oh my God. I love that one. She was, why was she reading this book to her kids? Why was she reading a book called Evan Birds to her kids? (laughs) You can't get past the first couple of pages and not. Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's a review from Bonnie. Bonnie's one-star <laughs> review on uh, Amazon. Just a bunch of profanity. It was not as helpful as I had hoped. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's a self-help book. Yeah. Deborah Z says, not funny at all, horrible, and a lot of the F word for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Unsolicited F word. says, yeah. yeah. Lee's says, waste of money. The captions do not correlate at all to the birds <laughs> pictured on the pages. <laughs> oh, here's my favorite. Uh, a, a Amazon uh, buyer named Gron, G-R-O-N, Gron. One star. Headline, horrible. Body of review, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Java says, I'm not sure what this is other than a moronic attempt at humor. Ouch. Yeah. Love it. Oh, it's Ginger. That's who the one about the reading the book to your children. Oh my God. Yes. Good old Ginger. Actually, <laughs> this brings up the, the big, big picture concept of what is the role of humor in society and in our daily lives. Right. I recently, I recently had a, like a little, not an epiphany, but like we had a, a friend over in our small little bubble, a, a, a friend of my uh, daughter's and she stopped and looked at me and she's like, you tell a lot of jokes. You, 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 your whole family tells a lot of jokes, and I'm like, well, we've been burning each other for years, you know. But yeah. she's like, at my house, we have a joke book, 
And we read that sometimes. I'm like, mm, no, it's no. on fire. <laughs> wow. Just like, <laughs> dropping the bombs. This is like we're trashing each other all day in a in a pleasant, kind, loving way that we love to, you know, yep. digs at each other. Yeah. Um, I have if if you want to dive into what people think of F and Birds more, go to the F and Birds Instagram account and look for the story highlight called Idiots. And in it, I have screenshots of all my favorites. How do people use your memes? I mean, we'd have to have a whole other podcast on the origin oh, yeah. of memes and how yeah. Richard Dawkins started this whole idea of the selfish gene and memes and the idea of that these are cultural representations, these these iconic moments. And now it's, you know, anime, you know, all your base are belong to us or yep. some old World War II soldier we used to pass around as an image when people would say too much. And here's a big cup of shut the F up, you know. And yeah, yeah. People send that, each yeah. other memes. Yeah. So are people... We used, to, we used to fax each other memes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that the, the thing is, like, they've been around for so long, but I definitely have uh, deliberately... Uh, tuned both swear track and effing birds to being shareable in that way because uh, if you do that they take on a life of their own first of all uh but uh, you know also it's just it just seems useful right like it just seems like a, a a useful way to uh to get them out there actually i think that was my biggest concern when writing the book was that i'm taking something that i uh envisioned as being there in the Twitter timeline and trying to construct a reason for it to exist on a page of a book, you know? And so I had to come up with this whole like field guide structure around it and all the, the actual bird stuff around it. Uh, and I, it was, it, it was like, it was really, I thought for a long time that it was not going to work as a book and I'm glad that it did. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it for, for the nature of the discourse that we have today, <laughs> you know, every <laughs> once in a while I'm writing one of these and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a good argument stopper right here. We'll just uh, <laughs> let this one out into the world. It was really funny. I, I was not, I had an, I had a, another book partially done and I was working and doing research and like outlining and like I, I put six months of work into this other book and then a random conversation with my publisher uh, led to a totally different book that we put together in like really a couple of months. Um, and I, well, I feel really guilty <laughs> like that I've let this other book down because uh, I was working on a comic book called Vin Diesel is Hamlet, uh, which is uh, about Vin Diesel being there instead of Hamlet in Hamlet. And I'm very pleased with it. But uh, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a, some kind of rights challenge with it, but I'm going to leave that up to my publisher because, you know, it's there. They got lawyers. I don't need to think about that. Um, anyways, uh, the I was talking to my UK publisher uh, because they're they're the public they're the first publisher of the Effin Birds book, and they are responsible for you know international rights sales. And we had been talking for a while about uh, a, a French France French, not Canadian French translation of the Effin Birds book uh, from uh, uh, from a publisher in France, and. We had gone back and forth a lot on it, and then we had stopped talking about it. And I thought the I thought it was dead. You know, I thought it was like, oh well. You know, uh, I, we came close to a Chinese translation, and it it died eventually because of concerns about you know vulgarity and blasphemy and things like that. Um, and anyways, uh, the 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 French publisher suddenly got back to us and said, look, you know, our concerns about buying the rights to this book and publishing it in French are that translated humor 
rarely sells. And uh, you do well in English, at least in part, because of how much uh, marketing of the book, you, you know, you are doing personally. Like I'm, I'm, uh, yes, my publisher has done a ton of work. And I've also put in a ton of work to like, you know, to get people to buy the book. And so uh, I wouldn't be able to do that really in French. Uh, my French is what they call Toronto high school French. It is not acceptable French to anyone other than other people who went to high school in Toronto. So you didn't think it would sell? It's better than American well, French. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. So I have a story about meeting a bunch of Texans who were on a French class trip in New Orleans. That was the greatest. Because uh, we spoke French for them. And they're like, oh, you sound like the people on the tapes. And then, we spoke, and then they spoke French for us. And it was glorious. And we loved it so much. We're like, can you speak French to us like all night, please? Give us all your voice. I think I think Evan Burns would like, work in French. I can think of I, several French swear words. I think it would French too. French, uh, that would work yeah. perfectly well. So their concern wasn't that it wouldn't work as much as it wouldn't have the name recognition and it wouldn't have me marketing it because none of those things would work in, in French. And then they got back to us and said, you know, we've had a lot of success with these uh, postcard books that we sell uh, that are... I, the translation of the title is like, it's like thank you cards, but they're like, like no thank you cards. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the, I think that's, that's an approximation of what they're like. They're like um, rejection cards. Uh, they're great. They're really great. And they sent me a bunch of them. They're like, can we adapt the book to this format? And I was like, yes. Also, should we not do that in English? We should do this in English. And, and so, um, in a couple of in a couple of weeks, really, we just started putting together the stuff, and then and then the biggest decision was: do we adapt the existing material of the first book as a postcard book, or do we do you know just a hundred new ones um, specifically for the postcard book? And so I've been writing jokes that are postcard specific effing uh, birds right now. I mean, they're still they're effing birds, and they feel like effing birds, but they're like, oh yeah, this would be the thing that if you open your mailbox and got it, that would be appropriate in the moment. But anyways, it all came because the the guys who were trying to organize the French rights had a really good idea, and uh, and then we stole it from them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I I'm gonna I'm okay with it because I'm not getting an advance on French publication because they're really unsure of how many copies they'll sell. And I'm like, you know what? I'm also good with that. I just want to see my work get translated into another language. I really want that for myself. You know, I'm I want I want a copy of it on my shelf. You know, I want all these weird copies of my own book on my shelf. So. I mean, we speak French at home, and I feel it's very important for my kids to understand the difference between Quebecois French, where I grew up, and France yep. French, where I was born. And so right. there's two different kinds of French, and I want them to know how to swear in both. And so we yeah. watch TV with swear words for both. And I th it's acceptable when mastering a language to know how to swear. If you go somewhere and can't tell when someone's swearing at you, that's bad. And if someone's yeah. inappropriate, you need to know how to tell them where to go immediately. Right. I think that I, I think one of my favorite things about about Quebecois French cursing, and I encountered a ton of it in Ottawa because one of my kids was in Little League, and we were right on the border. So you know, Gatineau. so we're playing against Quebec teams all the time. Yeah, we're right by Gatineau. Um, I also wrote a, a a a pitch one time called CSI Gatineau, and I'll tell you about that another time. That was really that was really good. Um, anyways, uh, um, uh, nobody nobody else is going to get our Gatineau jokes. But anyways, um, I. That I love the idea that if you are from France and you hear somebody cursing in Quebec French, they have either just spewed a nonstop barrage of nouns related to the Catholic Church yep. or a bunch of totally innocuous words that sound like nouns related to the Catholic Church. You know, like the first or time. The some, 
yeah. you hear the French and they're talking about cows and prostitutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like, that's it. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, I find that a slightly more comprehensible. Like, I mean, I understand, I understand in, I understand in theory, Quebecois cursing and the idea like, oh, it's the profane thing. We're like, we're, it's the, you know, the, the Catholic church has a lot of control. Then taking those words all in vain is like the, the worst thing you can do. And so like, I, I get that on an intellectual level, but I find France, French cursing much more like just comprehensible because French nobody's shouting. By cows. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, understand, I understand when you say somebody's a cow that that's not nice. Oh, when, you, when you shout at somebody like baptism, like what? What? Tabarnouche, tabarouette. They have all the friendly versions of the exactly. swear words too. Oh they my God, the, I love that. All the variations, the soft varieties you use. <laughs> oh, Siri. My, yeah, Siri just heard all of that and tried to tried to do something with all of my French Canadian. Yeah, they're French they're making great advances on Siri, but that's another podcast. <laughs> that's another yeah, podcast. oh yeah. <laughs> um, where can we find you on the uh, internets, Aaron? Yeah, on all the social media, my account is uh, birds uh, at birds on Twitter and Tumblr Spelled and Facebook. E-F-F-I-N birds. Uh, and uh, effinbirds.com for the regular birds store but also the crowdfund for the postcard book, which is successful. It's past 100%, so now it's just pre-orders, is at, uh, this is a URL that I am very proud of, E-A-T-F dot A-R-T. Oh, my goodness. It's art, wow. but at the dot art uh, uh, top-level domain. So, yeah, um, yeah, eat. Thank you for um, rising to the challenge of this podcast and meeting oh, all our technical pleasure. demands for... Humor and love and life. Yeah, I was like, I was like, why do I have to install two pieces of software to do this podcast? God damn! Letter <laughs> agencies. Yeah, that's all right. I'm good with it. I could do it. It was just. Oh, annoying. thank you so much, Aaron. <laughs> thank <laughs> My you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor, thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor. Simple MDM, our silver sponsor. And Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by J.D. Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I'm just being taken advantage of by my by my cat. <laughs>